Hey, everybody, and welcome to Quarantine Stuff You Should Know. My name is AJ Hannenberg. I am your host, and I'll be keeping you company through 101 days of the Decameron, or as long as this quarantine ends, as often as I can get these stories out to you, as, you know, I'm still teaching in the meantime. Um, usually, I am part of a triune podcast called Classical Stuff You Should Know. Triune is our tri- three dudes, uh, three guys. We are all teachers at a place called Veritas Academy in Austin, Texas, and we like classical things, and we try to bring them to you. Deprived of my two counterparts, I thought I would take you through uh, some stories while you are stuck at home, and I am stuck at home and give myself something to do besides stare at a screen at kids. This is day one, story one, so it might be a little rough. I'm still learning. I'm getting there, so please have grace on a lowly storyteller. So the first storyteller, if you think back to last week, we ended with one gentleman of the 10 folks who are sheltering from the Black Death. He was going to tell a story, and this is the story that he told. So there once was a guy named Muschiato Franzenzi, and Muschiato Franzenzi was supposed to move to Tuscany with Lord Charles Sanstare. Uh, he was a relative of the king, and this Muschiato was a merchant, and, he, and as merchants go, he had business kind of everywhere and tied up in a bunch of things, and people owed him money, and he owned little chunks of things, and he was just at a loss as to how he was going to move and do it efficiently, especially because he didn't have someone to go recover the loans that he had made to quite a few people in Burgundy. And he had heard about the Burgundians, that they were quarrelsome and evil and untrustworthy, and he could think of no one he could rely on who would be sufficiently wicked that his wickedness would match theirs. He's like, I don't, I don't know who's bad enough to go get money back from the Burgundians, these horrible people. But there came into his mind a guy he knew named Sir Chaparello de Prato. And Chaparello, uh, his name probably means little log, but they called him Chapalito because it sounds like little little hat or little, you know, wreath or crown or something like that. So they named him Chapalito and he got called in by this fellow, Muschiato Frenzenzi. And he was... It, maybe the worst man who has ever been born. Uh, He was a notary, and every single document he wrote up, he tried, he tried to make it false. He would feel ashamed if anyone found a document of his to actually be legitimate. Um, Of women, he was as fond as dogs are of being beaten with a stick. He did not like the ladies. Uh, He would run instantly to any type of evil there was to do. He found himself personally wounding and maiming and killing people he would steal. Uh, He had no compunctions about lying, so whenever he went to court, he would swear his oath and then just lie through his teeth as much as he possibly could. And he would spit in church and he would do all kinds of terrible, awesome, terrible, not terrible, awesome, terrible, horrible things. And he was just widely regarded as one of the worst men who ever lived. Now, Muschiato Franzenzi, the merchant, would kind of keep him out of trouble. He would protect him from individuals with whom he was involved, and he would also protect him in court. And at the moment, Chiapolito was unemployed. He didn't really have anything to do. And so Muschiato thought, this, this is the guy that I can send to get all the money back from the Burgundians. So he sent him, and he, he started staying with two guys from Florence, two Florentines. And a little while after being there, and these Florentines, by the way, were usurers, which if you've listened to one of our previous podcasts, you know they, that means they, they lend money at interest, which now is kind of the foundation for our financial system, but then was widely regarded as a dirty, almost sinful practice. 
So he stays with these two usurers. And when he's there, he becomes sick. And the two usurers are kind of in a bind because they can't kick him out. Because since arriving in Burgundy, Ser Ceparello, or Chapalito, if you want, however you want to call him, has actually been a pretty nice guy. He has been kind of saving up all of his wrath for the end, and he's been going and collecting money and generally being nice to everyone. Not overly nice, mind you, but a decent fellow. And so no one really knows that he's evil. And he's fallen deathly ill, and he's getting worse by the day. And so they converse, these two Florentines, with each other and say, what are we going to do with this guy? If we kick him out, we'll seem heartless because we've just kicked out a guy who generally has been nice to everyone and now is on his deathbed and it will just look terribly insensitive. If we keep him and let him get confession, there's no way that the priest will absolve him. If he hears any of the sins of this guy, it's just going to go totally south. And then we'll have to chuck him out of the house. He won't be buried and he'll be put in a hole just like usual. And if we don't confess him, no church will take him. He won't get buried and we'll have to toss him in a hole anyway. And so all, however we swing it, all the people around are going to know that we either booted a sick guy from our apartment or we took a dead guy and sort of buried him in a hole. And then they're going to get mad at us because they're, we're usurers and they're going to take our money and maybe our lives. What are we going to do with this sick man? Now, we all know, obviously, that sick people have really good hearing. And so... This horrible, horrible notary was laying in his deathbed, and he heard these two Florentines talking. And so he called them in, and he said, Gentlemen, I know you're in a pickle, and I know I've put you there. But I think, I think we can get away with this. So, I mean, look, I've been lying my whole life. A few more lies at the end of my life aren't going to really make any difference. It's not like I'm saving myself now. God's not going to take me one way or the other. So go and get the holiest priest you can, right? Go find the guy, the holy guy, and have him be the one to come confess me. And I think it'll all work out in our favor, right? You guys will be fine. I'll get confession and everything will work out okay. Sound good? And the fellows were like, fine, with the best shot we got. So they go and they get an elderly friar, a grandmaster of the scriptures, who lived holy and he was venerable all around, all around the town and he had a special devotion and so they took him home with them to Chapolito to confess him. Now, the Chapolito says, Priest, Father, I usually go to confession every week, not counting the times when I go more than that. But unfortunately, since I've been sick, I haven't had to confess at all. So good heavens, it's been more than a week since I've been to confession. And the Father says, oh, well, that's not so much of a thing. That's not a huge problem. Just tell me what you've done between your last confession and now. And Chapolito says, oh, no, priest, I can't, I can't. I have to tell you everything. As long as I can remember, I wanted to make a general confession of all the sins, all the horrible things that I've done in my life, starting at birth and coming right down to the present, which I'm sure to the priest sounded like quite the long sit down. But considering he'd been to confession every week, maybe it wasn't that many thing, things, right? And so he says, okay, all right, I'll confess you. So, I'll ask you some questions. First, have you committed the sin of lust? And Chapolito says, oh, no, father. No, I'm as much a virgin now as I was when I came out of my mother. And, ooh, come to think of it, did I just commit the sin of pride telling you this? That I am yet a virgin and have not committed the sin of lust? Oh, I hope that's not prideful. And the priest says, oh, no, that's not prideful. You're okay. 
it's, it's impressive, though, because we, even we men of the holy orders, sometimes have trouble with lust. And he says, oh, I understand, but I never have. He says, oh, good, okay. What about the sin of gluttony? Have you ever committed gluttony? And Chapelito says, oh, alas, I have to say that I have. I, while I fasted at least three times a week, sometimes during fasting, I would drink the water as if I were a lush. And I, and I enjoyed it just as much as some people enjoy drinking their wine. Probably, probably too much so I enjoyed it in, I enjoyed the water. And so I'm sorry. Yes, I have, I have absolutely committed the sin of gluttony. And the priest says, oh, that's, that's a trifle. And you know, no matter how holy a man is, after a long fast and working really hard, drinking always seems good. And Chapalito says, don't say that to console me. Surely you must realize that I know how every act we perform in the service of God has to be done wholeheartedly and with an unspotted soul. And how anyone who does any, anything otherwise is, he's committing a sin. And he says, okay, yeah, fair point. You got, kind of got me there. Um, what about the sin of avarice? Have you been greedy? And he says, oh, I, I, yeah, I have to say that I probably have. Um, but not so much. I mean, I, I'm living with usurers, but I was here to lead them away from their usury. And I swear if I wouldn't have gotten sick, I would have succeeded. They were almost there. And when I was young, I gave away my dad's fortune to charity and then, to provide for myself and so that I could serve the poor, I became a merchant, and I have to say yes, I tried to make money, but I have always split it 50-50, myself and the poor. 50% goes to the poor and 50 to just, you know, keep me going. He's like, oh, well, that's, that's very, I would even call that pious. Yeah, that's, that's impressive. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think that's anything to get, to get in a bind about. And he says, okay, that's fine. Um, what, what about, have you committed the sin of wrath? Chapelito. And he says, well, yes, I have. I always get really mad when people break God's commandments, when they, when they swear and when they go to taverns instead of going to church and when they're cruel to each other and, you know, when they, when they lie. Yes, I, I've, I've absolutely felt anger. And he says, well, my, my son, that's, that's righteous anger. And I'm sure that that's totally okay. Uh, you don't have to feel bad about that. Um, what about have you, have you bared false witness? Have you ever spoken ill of others? And he says, yes, Father. Yes, I have. I have committed that sin. I once, one time, I spoke ill of a neighbor who beat his wife very often, and I, I criticized him to his wife's family. I really, I have to say that I did. And he says, well, that was probably done well, and if not, it's, it's a trifle. What about stealing? You ever steal as a merchant? You ever take from any customers what you shouldn't have taken? And he says, oh, by God. Gosh, by gosh, I have. I don't know who he was, but he brought me money he owed me for some fabric that I sold him, and I put it in the box without counting, and a month later, I found that he had given me more than I deserved. There were four extra pennies in the box, and so I swore I would find him, so I kept the pennies. I kept them for a year, but he never came back, and so I gave them away to charity. I'm sorry, Father. And the Father says, Oh, that's... I'm sure that's okay. It's just a trifle. He says, but father, there are a sin or two more that I haven't told you about that I've committed. He says, oh, okay. That, you better tell me about them. That sounds grave. And he says, once I had my servants sweep the house in the afternoon during the, the Sabbath. And the priest says, oh, that's a trifle. Sweeping the house. And he says, no, no priest. It's not a trifle. Seeing that on just such a day, our savior came back to life from the dead. Furthermore, father, 
One time, without thinking, I spat on the floor in the house of God. And the priest says, oh, that's totally all right. We men of the cloth spit there all the time. And he says, then what you're doing is vile. It should be as clean as the temple we offer to God. And then he committed a few, he, he confessed a few more sins like this. And then eventually he burst into absolute tears. And he wailed for a while. And then fa- the father finally got through the tears and said, what's, what's wrong, Chapeletto? What's, what's going on? And he says, alas, there's still one sin I have never confessed. Every time I think of it, I weep. And then he wept a while longer, and the, he, he couldn't believe he could be forgiven. And the priest said, look, if all the sins that have ever been committed in the world were all stacked up in one man, even so that man could be forgiven. And judging by your life, I don't think this one is really going to do it. And he says, priest, I hate to think of it, but once when I was young, I cursed my mama. I cursed her, the woman who hold, held me a hundred times, and she fed me, and she cared for me. I cursed her, as if I didn't care a thing for her. And he says... Okay, uh, yeah, well, you're absolved, son. Would you like to be buried in our monastery? And blinking through the tears, Chapeletto said, Yes, please, I would. That sounds great. I've always been very devout to your order. And have them send me the, the body that's consecrated on the altar every morning so I can take communion. And give me extreme unction, so that if, even if I have not lived a Christian, I may die a Christian. And the father said, It will be done, my son. And so he left, and it was done. They sent him the communion, and they gave him extreme extreme unction and blessed him for death. And then he passed. Now, the old priest was left thinking so much about the story that he just heard about the confession that that he went and he talked to his brothers. And he said, brothers, there's a holy man down there, and I think that he deserves our utmost care. So here's what we ought to do. Once the body... Um... Once, once he's dead, what I want you guys to do is go down there and carry him back. And so that evening, all of the priests got together and with candles and in the greatest reverence came down and carried the body to the monastery themselves. And, and so he, he buried it ceremoniously. And by now, some stories had gotten out from the friars about how good this man had been. And all the while, mind you, the usurers had been in the other room and they just could not help you know, they could barely contain themselves from laughter when they heard the things this man was saying. But they said, hey, you know, maybe he actually did confess at the last moment, and who who knows? You know, maybe, maybe it worked out. But, well, at least he's out of our hair. And so he was buried in the monastery, and that next morning, the old priest gave such a moving sermon to the townspeople. He told them all about Chapoletto's charity and about his life and the works he had done, and he used it as a an opportunity to chastise the people for the the horrible things that they were doing. He said, every time you trip over a blade of grass, you curse and you blaspheme and you say horrible things to the saints and I'm, I'm disgusted with you. And so the people left with an idea of reverence for this chapeletto. And then there, it wasn't long until they were saying their praise to prayers to him and they called him Saint Chapeletto. And then they started putting candles near his grave and they started hanging pictures near his grave And then eventually they started to pray to him. And that, dear listener, is how, on occasion, we might accidentally, because we don't have divine judgment, set someone up as a a saint who is not a saint. But aren't we lucky? Aren't we lucky that God does not consider the intercessor? He doesn't consider the in-between. He knows if that man was good or not. What he considers is the holiness and the desires of the person doing the prayer. So even if the intercessor isn't worth a lick, and we don't know where Chapoletto ended up, he could be in heaven if he really did 
feel some remorse there at the end, or he could have ended in hell. But most likely, he's in hell. So the people that pray to him don't quite know what they're doing, and aren't we lucky to have a God who listens to us despite the person that we pray to? And that is the first story from the Decameron. I told it as best I could. I hope you enjoyed it. And I wouldn't mind a little bit of feedback. If you're feeling like giving feedback, I want to know if you want me to comment more as I go through and bring a little bit of interest to the stories or just retell it like I did today as best I can. I tried to keep myself and my commentary out of it and get fairly close to the story while not boring you by just reading it. So send feedback if you want. The new email that we've got is theguys at classicalstuff.net. You can send emails directly to us there. You can also check out our website at classicalstuff.net. And now, a new thing, we have more than 100 episodes available on iTunes. So if you want to go check out past episodes, it goes all the way back to episode one. And you can start when it was just me and one other guy, Graham, and we were cheek to cheek over a single microphone in our campus so long ago. So if you'd like to hear more from us, you can check those out. You can also tweet at us at C-L-S-S-C-A-L stuff. And I think that's it. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. I will try to get another one of these out tomorrow if I possibly can. They're proving to take a little more time than I anticipated, but I will do my best. So thank you, listener, for listening to me. And I hope you're having a happy quarantine. I know I am. See you later.